When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Revived Thoughts is a production of Revive Studios. This is Troy and Joel, and you are listening to Revive Thoughts. We used to think that the experiences of our early Christian life would linger with us and influence us for good through all our days. Our efforts to remember God and the things of God have proved fruitless. Every episode we bring you a different voice from history and a sermon that they deliver today. We're listening to a sermon delivered by Thomas Spurgeon. It was delivered in the early 1900s at the Metropolitan Tabernacle. Joel, we have done several episodes on Charles Spurgeon, and we probably will do more in the future. Uh, We've interviewed two different directors of the Spurgeon Center at Midwestern on the life of Charles Spurgeon. We've also had a descendant of Charles Spurgeon, Joseph Spurgeon, read the last Spurgeon episode that we did. Uh, We've covered Charles Spurgeon, but one thing we have never talked about is his son, Thomas Spurgeon, who was Spurgeon's successor and also a preacher in his own right. And um, there's a special kind of rare treat at the end of this episode. We actually have the real voice MP3 of Thomas Spurgeon, uh, not reading this sermon, but it is his voice. You can hear it. Uh, So stay tuned to the very end of the episode and you can hear that. Our very first DL Moody, we also had just a little bitty clip. A little bit. Just a little little taste of what he sounded like as well. It's kind of hard because the audio is a little old, but I always think it's really cool when we can find um, just these little audio messages that remind you. Just to hear. These were real people. These were real people. And yeah, typically, uh, kind of the rule on Revive Thoughts is if you can hear them preach the sermon in their own voice, then it's not someone that we cover. Because uh, listen to the real person preaching the real sermon. But on these real fringe, like, like uh, again, a D.L. Moody and a Thomas Spurgeon that are right on the cusp where we have maybe... Uh, a scratchy recording clip or two <laughs> we make an exception for it because they they're, they're re- they really were before the, the yeah. age of audio recording. You can hear one minute of their audio is not quite the same gusto as hearing right. the whole 45 minutes as say like uh, you know some of the guys that come just a little bit later do. Yeah. Uh, Thomas Spurgeon probably 
someone that you're unfamiliar. You, who knows? You might you might be a, a Spurgeon uh, fanatic and know the descendants of Spurgeon. <laughs> uh, I personally did not know anything. I, I didn't even know that. You, uh, you asked me to name one of Spurgeon's kids. Couldn't do it. Before At one point, I thought Charles Spurgeon didn't have kids. Like they just are so untalked about. I assumed Charles and Susanna were without children. No, he had he had multiple children. Thomas was actually a, a twin. He had a twin brother. His brother was named Charles Spurgeon Jr. He was named Thomas Spurgeon. I feel like I, I, don't <laughs> I know. thought the same thing. I don't know how you get the bad. Like how how do you how do your parents justify that to you? It does it does feel future. like one was slightly fi- now. Apparently Charles Spurgeon did justify it and said Thomas um, apparently in English or something is another word for twin, and so it was Charles Spurgeon Jr. and twin. I That's guess in his interesting. mind. Interesting maybe I, that I, might be the fact of the podcast if that's <laughs> if that's true is you said that's like an english it thing? was like an english because obviously thomas goes back to the bible and one of its other meanings as leader so but but spurgeon justified it as like this is my son the junior and this is his twin you know the same thing basically kind i wonder of, in his mind justifying like i've named them both charles in a sense okay i kind of like that if that's the case yeah i wonder i mean i i'm assuming junior was the first one out of the womb i i would think so i don't know if there was a scarlet thread like in jacob and east here, <laughs> but yeah okay uh i don't know if you're familiar with our other spurgeon episodes or just familiar with spurgeon's life in general but you'll uh, recall that there was this great fire that charles spurgeon uh went through during one of his events and this happened in 1856 and this was a very traumatic event that would uh, contribute to a lot of depression and really shape who he was as a person Thomas and his brother, Charles Spurgeon Jr., were actually born about a month before this great fire. So kind of puts it into perspective. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of things. Imagine Charles Sr. during this time where yeah. he has brand new kids and twins. Uh, twins, and he's dealing with this mass casualty tragic mm-hmm. event during the same time. What a stressful uh, era that that, that pocket of life, that season of life must have been for him. Thomas, he wanted to be a, a pastor when he, you know, as, as he was growing up, you know, seeing what his dad does, he wants to be a pastor. But for a time, he actually really was into art. He, you know, he's taken the artist route when he was going through late high school and even through some of his college era. He really enjoyed carving. He enjoyed poetry. He wrote a lot of poetry, a, a bit of a different, you know, you don't see that artistic vibe mm-hmm. in a lot of pastors take away, but he has definitely a more artistic uh, route than his other siblings did, but he would eventually come back around to, to it being a pastor. That was his occupation. That was his career. And we don't know a, a tremendous amount about his childhood. There is a biography written about him. If you want to uh, seek that out, if what you're hearing is interesting and you want to know more about that, you can find that. I do think it's somewhat of a testament that, that both Charles Jr. and Thomas ended up becoming preachers. You know, we see a, a lot of that's actually pretty rare. It's yeah. pretty rare that the the sons of this famous pastor would actually more more times than not we see um, sometimes a little bit of rebellious streak. Sometimes you know those kids see how their parents are really like at home, and um, it hurts their faith and it hurts their walk with God, and uh, they don't end up really pursuing a life in ministry that much. But I think it's a testament to how Charles Spurgeon walked that that I guess it made a good enough impact on their kids that they really thought that life in the ministry was. Um, holy and in a worthwhile mm. endeavor yeah uh but there is a problem for thomas he had very bad health and if you remember honestly spurgeon has bad health his wife Susanna has bad health uh it, it, doctors um recommended you guessed it if you've listened to this episode if you've been listening to the show you know what every doctor recommends in the 1800s 
go on vacation somewhere warmer. So a warmer climate. You know, and and it makes sense. The pollution of industrial London is so bad. I read one time that the pollution of industrial London, uh, in industrial Philadelphia was so bad. This the industrial revolution that you had to lamps on twenty four seven because it was just like black as night everywhere you went all the time. Um, if that's the case in Philadelphia, maybe you know that would probably carry over to London. All of that you're breathing in, it's going to hurt your lungs. So it makes sense why doctors thought we'll go to the countryside. Uh, but they didn't recommend the countryside. They recommended go all the way to warmer Australia. Now, we have an older episode on a preacher who was sent to Australia to recover. His name is William Muir. One of the saddest stories we've ever covered on this show, I think, if you remember. Um, people enjoyed it, though. They said it was kind of an ode to the sermons who would never be famous, um, but who were dutiful all the same. Definitely go check it out if you haven't. Just an episode of a guy sent to Australia to recover made me think of the same episode, um, and he did not end up recovering. But in the case of Thomas, at the age of 20, he goes to Australia. Thomas loves the trip. He loves traveling, loves sea life. His lungs greatly improve. He does much better over there. And for a few years, this man who used to watch his dad preach, I mean, hypnotize is the word I use. I mean, he just had a great power over the people of England. Um, this guy was suddenly preaching to small groups of like sheep shearers and shepherds in the middle of nowhere in a penal colony on the other side of the world. Um, he said he, he had a story once where he remembered preaching to a small group next under just literally under a tree once, and they had four buckets they were hoping to use for baptism, but they were waiting for them to get filled up with enough water from rain so that they could do the baptism because they were just so far out in the country. And uh, he was interrupted in the middle of this sermon he was giving by a rancher yelling to get his horses to come into the ranch. So he had to wait for him to for the four horses to kind of pass by so the guy would stop yelling so he could finish his sermon. And he said at the time it just made him laugh because he was like, man, this is so funny that I, who, you know, was once riding on the coattails of my dad in England, am out here just so far removed. I told Joel when I was explaining this episode a little bit, I was like, it reminds me of like a Hallmark movie where like the big city kid who's living on the, <laughs> living the business life, you know, his dad's the CEO of the company and suddenly he's out on the farm and he's got to learn how to work with the cows and, but it makes him appreciate life yeah, more. he ends up loving it. And that's honestly, as dorky as it sounds, that's exactly what happened to Thomas where it really seemed like, like humble him and help him get his faith to be his own. And it also reminds me of the biblical story of Moses. He had to leave the palace, go out to the wilderness, serve there, yet stay faithful. As he began to preach in Australia and New Zealand, and you know, people recognized, wait a minute, this is that Spurgeon. People began to like him. He kind of slowly became, became a hit in that area, but it was not all perfect. Some newspapers said, hey, I've heard, you know, some journalists who've traveled the world said, I've heard your father preaching well, you're not your father, Thomas. And um, those headlines and newspaper comments would go out, and that's you know, ouch, kind of a kind of a kick there, uh, Thomas. That would kind of break your confidence a little bit to hear that you're not your dad. And um, but yet it did help him to learn to develop his own voice, and even despite the criticisms and learning to kind of take that with thicker skin, he grew up and became his own man, his own preacher, and would become more popular. Uh, he meets his wife, gets married. They, he decides, my health has improved enough. I'm going to go back to my dad's college in England um, where my brother is already studying, and I'm going to go back and study. But when he returns to England, his health fell apart very quickly. Just It was, it was almost immediately he started to get sick again. And so he goes back out to Australia. He's not going to be able to study at the school that his dad had founded. Um, and so instead, he gets a pastorate in Auckland Tabernacles, the name of it, and, uh, and soon was preaching to large crowds just like his father. Let's 
this would make a great movie. Yeah, this it really would. Movie, right? Like I agree. It has all of the all of the iconic coins of of your of your classic. <laughs> you, you know, living in your father's shadow yes. and and having to prove something, but also making your own way. Like it, yeah. it'd be a perfect uh, little mini series. It would. You know? and, and the best part is the part up next that we're about to get to, where yeah. he has to kind of go reclaim the farm. Oh, like reclaim the reclaim the the church. Yes. If it was the Hallmark movie, this is where he's got to take over the the business. You know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so he he spends another eight years in Australia and New Zealand in that area, and he does pretty well for himself. Uh, he would become the the leader of the largest church in the South Pacific there. But due to his health, you know, it's a lot. It's a lot of stress. It's a lot of keep up. So he'd eventually step down from a lead pastor, and he interned at New Zealand at a church in New Zealand for a while before finding out that his father had had passed away. Finally, passed away. And so he went back to England uh, eventually to take over his role. Yeah. Not before, however, a little bit of a drama. You know, there's drama in the family. Who's who's going to take over Dad's church? Uh, that's a discussion they have. And so, yeah, because there was. If we're doing the Hallmark movie, you know, the the younger brother of Charles, a guy named James Spurgeon, he'd be kind of like that that villainous business manager guy who's trying to take over the church and use it for his own fame and uh, thomas Spurgeon will end up getting the invite instead of him yeah they invite they invite thomas to come out and uh i don't know what would, what would you call it uh, uh present yourself yeah to come the out church. present your, like will you even come out and check things out your dad just died right. do you even want it and, and he didn't really want it he that was something that he was kind of he was pretty public about he knew his dad was huge he he didn't he knew he couldn't live to the same level that is, you know, his dad was known for. He just, he knew he wasn't capable of being that character in the spotlight. And he didn't want to try. He didn't want to replace that. Not to mention, you know, he's also going through a grieving process. His dad just died. Uh, and so to juggle these things. And there was a lot of people against him. Not you know, not only the press, but again, Charles Spurgeon's younger brother, James, he wanted the position as leader of the church. And there were several other ambitious preachers at the time that one and and who knows i'm I'm sure a lot of these preachers were yeah. excellent preachers i'm sure they were great some of them may have been you know a, a great solution to that but you know it's just kind of like those movies where you know the the most humble leader is the best <laughs> leader right the, the reluctant one that that takes the position they're the ones best equipped to lead uh and that's what we see he he does end up uh taking over charles spurgeon's church the metropolitan tabernacle this guy who had poor health his whole life had to fulfill the shoes of, and I like the way one person phrased it, the largest Baptist church in the entire British Empire during the height of the British Empire. It kind of puts it in perspective, doesn't it? Like You're taking over the biggest church of the biggest empire. That is a pretty big deal. And you know that the last time you were in London, you couldn't even do your homework. Um, you had to leave school. Yet, he does it. You know, He manages to do it. He would preach several times a week, just like his dad, he had to run the sword in the trial magazine, just like his dad. He was head of the same pastor's college his dad was, a college he couldn't even graduate from due to health reasons. He was in charge of conferences, the orphanage, everything Charles Spurgeon had his hand on. His son Thomas, the ill health person, had to run it. And yet, I think by God's grace, he managed to do it all. Maybe he didn't do it as well as Charles himself could have done it, perhaps, but he performed well enough to keep it going and to keep it growing um, and to keep it solid. For 14 years, he held it all together before finally having to retire at the age of 51. But even then, he wasn't completely out of ministry. As he stayed the head of the college, he would keep writing. He would put out several books. He would occasionally preach. Um, he put out a book of poetry, so brought that childhood love back. 
And he would do all of these things until his final time of dying at 61. Um, and that was in the year 1917. He also, important to note, rebuilt the church uh, in Metropolitan Tabernacle when it was burned down in 1898. Kind of a common problem people had back then. D.L. Moody's church is burned down too. Um, so he, again, I just think it's only by God's grace through being humbled through all those problems. When he came back, you know, he didn't even know if he could breathe the air in London. And yet God gave him that grace and gave him the grace to run a church and a ministry so much bigger than any other he had ever been a part of. This is a, it's a shorter sermon, but pay attention. It's about not forgetting the things that God has taught us, especially in our early days of faith. You can see that Thomas had to leave his father and London and spend time in Australia to make sure he knew his faith and he was prepared to take on his father's ministry. And in the same way as he preached in London, I, I wonder if sometimes he had to think back to the things that he learned under these trees in Australia, in those fields with ranchers yelling to their nearby horses, it had to be something that, that was on his mind. Only be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them slip from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. Deuteronomy 4.9 How good a gift is memory! Of all the gracious benefits conferred on mortal men by God, there is none more useful and none more precious. By memory, we are enabled to lay a store of precious thoughts and gracious reminiscences against the days to come. By memory, we can stud our minds with promises and precepts from the Word of God as the midnight heavens are studded with the twinkling of stars. But alas, memory has fallen with the rest of our powers. Do you not know from sad experience how readily evil is retained? When you would gladly erase it from the page, the dark letters still appear. Things that we thought we had with a tenacious grip are torn away from us or slip from our grasp, and the place that we knew them knows them no more. Our memories have failed us. By a good memory, I mean a memory that lets slip that which is not worth holding, and holds, as with a death grip, that which is most worth preserving. Notice first that God graciously gives warning of the danger. Is not this gracious of him? He knows us thoroughly, better, far better than we know ourselves. The people of his choice were prone to forget him. Therefore, he constantly sounded this warning note. To them, I suppose, it seemed impossible, certainly improbable, that they would forget the things that their eyes had seen. Forget Egypt, the furnace of iron? You would have thought that these experiences had been burned into them by the very fire of the furnace through which they passed. Forget their redemption and deliverance, the night of the Passover, and the passage of the Red Sea? Forget God, who had delivered them times out of number, who had spoken to them out of the midst of the fire? The same principle holds true today. We used to think that the experiences of our early Christian life would linger with us and influence us for good through all our days. As one who says, I will remember, and draws a spot on his hand in order to assist his memory, and then forgets why he drew the spot. In the same way, our efforts to remember God and the things of God have proved fruitless. Are you not aware? Let it be a matter of 
sorrowful confession, if so, that you have sometimes forgotten that you have been purged from your old sins, you have been indulging in them again. The peril still persists, but to be forewarned is to be forearmed. Moreover, God knows just when and where this peril is likely to be greatest. If you'll turn to Deuteronomy 6, you'll understand my meaning better. When the Lord your God brings you into the land he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you, a land with large, flourishing cities you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide, wells you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. Then, when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Deuteronomy 6, verses 10 through 12. Now, there is much meaning in the then. There is no season so perilous in this particular as the season of prosperity. The fear is that when all things are crowding into us, God should be crowded out. You will find it comparatively easy to remember God and to recollect his dealings with you in the past when laid upon a bed of sickness or when bereaved or in serious trouble. Sometimes God permits these painful dispensations to give us a pause in the rush of life, an opportunity to call to remembrance. He supplies invaluable instruction. He does not content himself with waving a red flag before us. He stops the train and gives instructions to the driver and the guard. Take heed to yourself. It means literally be watchful. This is just where we fail as a rule. The watchtower is deserted. Strengthen the guard rather than reduce it and see to it that everything that would enter the mind is challenged as it approaches and that all that would go out that should remain within the walls is prevented from passing through the portals. Keep your soul diligently. It is the same idea as we have already mentioned. As one might call to another whom he saw to be in danger, look out, look out. There is a further instruction. Teach them your sons and your sons' sons. For whose benefit do you think is this instruction given? For that of the sons and of the grandsons? Yes, true. But do they reap all the benefit? I tell you, sirs, one of the best ways to remember things that are most worth remembering is to pass them on to others, to teach them. I have this to add, that he provides welcome aids to memory. He remembers our frame. He knows that we are but dust. Therefore, he comes to our assistance. He calls us like little children to his kindergarten and makes the learning easy. There are ways of schooling the mind and training the memory. There are certain aids and helps. The law of association serves a good purpose in this respect, and object lessons lend us support. Certainly it is so in the things of God. To Israel, God gave the Passover, constantly repeating it to remind them of that wondrous night when he brought them out of the house of bondage with a high hand and an outstretched arm. To Israel, he gave the various rituals of the Mosaic dispensation that they might never forget the doctrines of sin and salvation, and that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. To Israel he gave the ark, 
in which was the pot of manna, Aaron's rod that budded, and the tables of stone. All these were there to aid their memory. After just this fashion, God deals with his spiritual Israel, providing aids to memory, unless we forget. Heavenly influences are with us constantly. Angel ministries work for our help and support in ways unseen. Holy exercises and disciplines, if we do but engage in them in the right spirit, help us in the same direction. Prayer brings us to the mercy seat and sends us full-handed home. Praise puts a harp into our hands and causes us to sing our thankfulness to God. The ordinances of worship and opportunities for service all help to keep us in touch with heaven and to keep our hearts aglow with godliness. The word is one of God's aids to memory. You can hide the word of the Lord in your heart unless you forget. I would have you remember, too, that the ordinances that the Savior has established are for this same purpose. Think of believers' baptism. The Lord's Supper is instituted for this same purpose. It is a reminder of all that has passed in connection with our spiritual experience. This do, said he, in remembrance of me. How often do we pray the prayer of the dying thief, Lord, remember me? It is a right good prayer. Mothers may even forget their children, but Jesus should not have us out of his mind. But I tell you what is possible, that you and I should forget him. It is cause for real regret that none of my late dear father's words were preserved by means of the phonograph. Perhaps the next best thing is for me, his son and successor, to repeat what proved to be his parting message. It should not be less forceful now, 13 years after its delivery, for the truth of God is unchanging. This sermon, I, one of the things that he preaches on, and he talks about just it's so easy to forget aspects of our faith. And I think one of the most important ones is, do you always keep in mind and remember that you have been, in his words, purged from your old sins? I think it's super easy, especially if you've been a Christian for a little while, to start to think of those old sins you used to struggle with, maybe the things that, you know, I don't know what they are for you, but things that you used to have a problem with and go, man... I don't, you know, I don't know why people still have that problem or, you know, I kind of get arrogant with God. Like I know a lot things are going well. It's, there's so many different aspects where you forget just how sinful and broken you once were, especially when God found you, how hopeless you were, how desperate you were. Um, and I think that that line, don't forget how sinful you were when God, you know, grabbed you and brought you in. And just if, if all Christians could keep that in their mind as they move forward, not justifying the sin and definitely not excusing the sin, but just remembering, you know, there but for the grace of God, go, I, I also am pretty sinful. I think it would change a lot of the interactions that the church has. I think it would change a lot of how we view our relationship with God as it would motivate us. And I think it would just be a good thing to walk away from the sermon, not to forget who you once were and then Christ. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Revived. 
Thoughts. Today's sermon was narrated by Lee Jones. Lee is a theology nerd from Ohio who serves as a sound guy at his local church and hosts the Reformed Meditation Podcast at the Bar Network. If you enjoyed this episode of Revive Thoughts, we encourage you to write in, send in a message, talk to us, come find us on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or wherever you can on social media or on our email through the contact page, wherever is best. We we fixed the contact page. It was broken on the website. Didn't really even know it was broken. And then we didn't really have one. We just thought, we have an email link. You can use that. Apparently not. And apparently a lot of you like contact page and we've been receiving a lot more emails from people. And it's actually kind of encouraging and fun. It's been great to hear from you. So that's our ask right now is if you want to send some more emails, tell us which episodes you like, tell us what you enjoy about the show. And we, we, we've been enjoying hearing back from all of you. Didn't realize that the reason we weren't hearing from you was it was us. We were the problem all along. <laughs> yeah, so you can, you can use the email uh, address in the in the description of the episode in the show notes here, uh, or like Troy was saying, through our website, use the contact page. That's a pretty easy way to shoot a message quick over. Or as always, you can reach out to us on social. We want to hear from you. This is Troy Angel, and this is Revive Thoughts. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.